You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Michael Rainier studied as an archaeologist and worked at the British Museum and the University of Leicester before moving into university administration. His new collection of novellas is Five Degrees of Latitude. Thank you for joining me, Michael. You're welcome. Thank you for asking me. I love the historical settings and of these stories. They're so wonderfully evoked, and it gives them kind of a... These feel like lost classics, of some kind, and I guess that's has to do with some of your reading. Uh, so uh, I guess what which one came next after? Um, after at this point, I did send them to to a. Uh, I thought at this point I got three mm-hmm. now. Um, in fact, I hadn't actually finished Hobbes's Lane, and I just, I thought I'll send this around and see if anybody's interested in it. And I, I found a, a website that had, uh, it's an American website, and it had a list of, I think, 20 or 30 publishers of short, I think, gothic-y, I think, was what I, I had typed into the search. Mm-hmm. Um, and I picked five of them, um, and uh, I, for no reason they had nice names, or they uh, one, one was in England, so I thought that would, that would help. Um, there were, most of them, I think, were American. And I sent off a... Um, the the kind of a very short summary of what they were to these five people and um two came back one one guy an american guy he was in barcelona he said these sound really interesting could you send them to me i'm in barcelona so i sent them to and one was was rosalie puck who who from tartarus who who ended up publishing it and uh, i never heard back from the guy from barcelona rose rose rosalie wrote back and said um these are really really interesting but you know the words the in fact was you know nobody reads stories of this length are you are you are you crazy i mean you know short stories yes yeah, novels absolutely but nobody reads these kind of um the novellas or novelettes or whatever you call them and i wrote back i thought i have two two options here i can either get kind of upset and yes but you know the, the reason for this is because i want them or i can just say listen rosie tell me about it which is what i did i said I didn't want to write them either. You know, they, they just came. That's the length they are. I'm, I, I, you know, I absolutely understand it. And she said, well, okay, send me, send me a couple. Send me, send me, send me what, what you've got. So I had two finished ones and then I, I had to really quickly finish Hobbes's Lane. So I worked very hard to get that off and I sent, I sent them off to her. And um, she came back and said, actually, these, these are good. You know, these are, I'd like to do this, um, but um, I need, I need uh, probably... Uh, you know, two more. And I thought, oh gosh! I mean, I I didn't have any ideas, um, and I'd str- as I said, I'd struggle with Hobbes's Lane. It wasn't so much fun anymore. <laughs> um, and I thought, oh gosh! So um, so I had now been set the goal for the first time of write two two of these stories. So um, that changed the dynamic a little bit. I think for the better actually, because because now I knew I had to to do something. But it put a bit of pressure on because I didn't want to spoil what I had achieved by mm-hmm. just enjoying myself um so so the next one was was luke guru mm. uh and again i drew back from um 
again, it's something that I had always wanted to write right back from from, uh, I guess, a teenager when I had tried to write the stories. We lived in the countryside for a little bit and used to walk around the, the fields with the sheep and everything. And I thought, yeah, that would be a... there's something really visceral, I think, in the human condition about a mon uh, an animal, a wild animal being out there somewhere. I think that's that's really goes back again archaeologically. I think back to our you know huddling around the fire, making stone tools, knowing that there's a saber tooth lion or a mammoth or whatever that could be could be out there somewhere. And I think we've brought that with us. That lodges somewhere deep in our psyche still. And from time to time, there's stories in England about you know wild cats on Dartmoor or oh yeah the black cats and, yeah. the, and the and the black dogs that's right, right. And, the, I, um, and then of course you've got the classic uh, Conan Doyle and and um, Hound you know, of the, the Hound of the Baskervilles which is you know just just the zenith of that. So I thought I would um, I'd try and do something around that and that's that's um, I had started to write something very very sort of badly when I was seventeen or eighteen and it, it hadn't hadn't gone anywhere so I started uh, uh, right from the right from the get-go and I, I just knew that this story had to be a, a Iberian in, in in a French Iberian border Basque kind of land somewhere down there uh, that was that was the very rooted in that area because it was, I was isolated just looking that stuff up I'm just going where is this place <laughs> Um, and uh, you know it just lends itself, I think, beautifully mm. to that to that thing because there are large areas that that are that are uninhabited, and the the the, uh, the the people down there. Not that I've visited that area at all, I haven't, but I've I've read a lot of, of people who have, and they seem to be a very interesting type of people in there. There's that, that there's that wonderful sort of um, suspicion of strangers that they have, and the, and the uh, how the close bond that they form. Um, all out of necessity of where they're working in the landscape and tied very closely to the landscape. So I just thought that would be a terrific place to to set that. Um, I knew I wanted to have uh, some kind of wild animal on, on the on the loose from from the start. Um, and then again, it's the same thing. I needed to find the people that were going to drive that through for me and take that take that through. And uh, the 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 slight change with this story is that I. I I deliberately tried to write uh, each of the stories from a, uh, each of the chapters from a perspective of one of the characters in mm -hmm. it because I, I knew there were going to be a lot of characters and I, I didn't have the technical expertise to, to weave that all in uh, as as a, as a you know really really good writers would do. So I, I thought you know the way to do this is 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 give chapter perspectives on 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 this and. Um, Defrego is is a nod. Um, the character Defrego is, oh, I suppose, is the uh, the kind of hero. If there is a hero, there isn't really a hero in it, but um, is a is a nod to 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 Blackwood, who's my you know I guess my ultimate sort of hero in this. Who Algernon Blackwood? Yeah, there's yeah. A, there's a real feel for these. It reminds me of uh, the Willows and yeah. uh, uh, the. Uh, uh, or the Wendigo. The Wendigo, like and that's... I think I think the Wendigo has Defrego is a character in the Wendigo, mm -hmm. and then the name is a character from from Wendigo, and I, you know, I'm I meant to change it at some point, and I just thought no, that's this guy is that's who it is. He fits he fits really nicely in there, and yes, uh, Algernon Blackwood is absolutely the the kind of um, uh, the the mark that I would say you know. Um, marks the high water of this this kind of writing because he he does precisely this kind of stuff if you read the willows nothing much happens but there is a deep you know tense energy that runs through that and and if i could 
get capture that, I would, I would be really chuffed, as we say in England. It's like getting electrocuted continuously for 60 pages. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's just terrific. It's just brilliant. And so uh, I thought I... Um, I thought we'd do that and, and working change working with uh, the character perspectives in the chapters changed the dynamic slightly because it made it more um, slightly more complicated because I would get into a character um, uh, you know really quite profoundly and then um, when I would start on the next one the story would have changed slightly because of what how this character had developed and the relationships all driven again by the almost sort of zero planning that goes on and are just writing on, on, a, on a regular cycle. Um, but, um, I, I, you know, I, I like the way it, it turned out. I wanted to have that, it to be a bit more uh, um, gory, if that's the right word, uh, than, than the others. I wanted it to have a bit more of a visceral feel to it. But um, it's also beautifully sweet. I mean, I, I, I read it and I, you know, I thought it was just had such a great, balance of emotions in it i i thought it was just phenomenally well done but arguably to my mind the best uh story that features la lu guru i've ever read really <laughs> oh, that's thank you I, I when i i in terms of the the, the sweetness i think you, you're absolutely right but there is um for the people uh, who live in those landscapes and I, i'm not an anthropologist or anything but i've read a huge amount on on anthropology for my archaeological work and um i'm not a, a huge travel writing fan but i've read i've read some bits of that chat when and people like that who i who i um who express for me something which i imagine to be true uh, and I've tried to convey, which is this this wonderful um, relationship between humans and the landscape in which they they live. And I guess as an archaeologist, that's what I've been doing. I'm very much uh, from the background that the the environment was profoundly important in how humans evolved, and particularly the humans that I looked at, which lived at the end of the ice age. So these guys would have had a folk memory of a of a wall of ice four kilometers high um uh, across across england and reindeer running in herds um but then the environment they found themselves now was was forested and uh, and wet and moist and tons of uh, birch and stuff completely different but they would have remembered that people would have told them stories about the ice and stuff and I felt when I was studying archaeology that they would they would react to that, and they're, the only thing that we really have is their stone tools. But their stone tools begin to reflect these changes. So, just and this is a bit of an aside, but it's interesting. Um, well, it informs your stories. I can see <laughs> you when you when you are hunting, uh, you know, herds of reindeer, which are in the open landscape. You you can uh, they're predictable, so you know where they are, and so you build a camp, and every year they come through there, and, and you gear up, you tool up, and you uh, go on a big um, hunting kind of kill and take everything back. When all of a sudden that that landscape is now covered in trees, those animals, are a deer and the reindeer, move away, and you've got different types of deer, uh, but they're all scattered around the thing, and you don't have the luxury of being um, able to uh, yeah, anticipate where they're going to be you have to be able to react when you might find one and the weapons that they use in the stone tools that they use ref change to reflect that so instead of having big points that you just stab in 
they develop what's called in the aeronautics industry redundancy. So you would have multiple barbed pieces so that if one breaks, fails, there's another three or four to make the kill because you cannot miss this animal because you don't know when you're going to see it again. And this is, to me, is, is the human culture changing because the landscape has changed and this re relation. So coming back to our, to our point, um, I'm, I'm fascinated and charmed at the, the, the relationship uh, between people who live very close to the land. And they are. It is a brutal life in many cases, but it is also, as you, your word, a charming uh, life. They have wonderful understanding and knowledge uh, of, of their world. And so, yes, I try to capture the brutality of life, the, the, the facts that, that, that we would never under, comprehend, are, but which these people uh, take as day-to-day -day, uh, granted, but also the, the tenderness that they have, not only towards one another, but towards the landscape too. So I'm, I'm really delighted that that's come across because that is something that I, th I think is important. Now, one thing I love about this story is the, just the, the level of storytelling and stories within stories. And I absolutely love let me see if I can say this right. Uh, Florent Hortholery. And I was hoping that you're going to bring him back because he seems like a guy, There, he might have a lot, there might be a lot of good stories with Florent. Yeah, I mean, Florent is is um, a construction and probably the only character that I, that, that, that I write about that I have a real purpose behind. Um, and what it is, is... Um, the, uh, my take on what a new detective, the new detective story might look like. And um, again, I'm not a I'm not a literary person, so I, I don't know the ins and outs of it. But, you know, we all know that there are two people in every detective story that you have the, the, the main guy and the sidekick. So if we take Sherlock Holmes and, and um, the doctor. Uh, who, who sits with. So what I what I thought was if you could do if you could separate uh, how could, what would it happen if you separated your your um, incisively minded detective character in time and space and had your kind of buffoon type um, sidekick in the modern day? What would that look like? So that was what I was trying to do at the beginning of, the, of this. So it, that's uh, really was, a phenomenal. That's a really interesting idea. I yeah, like and that. I thought you could get some <laughs> yeah. really interesting. And yes, you're absolutely right to say that that I would in my mind, I, I'd like to, to see this guy come back again and do other things, because what what you have is the student um, uh, postgraduate student who's studying uh, this person uh, in the modern day. And you can have some really interesting discussions across the the ages through these two people. So by by looking at the letters and I, that's something I've done a lot of of, of trying to reconstruct uh, archaeological excavations, for instance, from field notebooks where you're looking at a person's um, thoughts in not in the way that a diary is written. A diary is written, I think, probably um, perhaps a bit, a bit nastily, but is designed to be read by somebody in the future. But field notebooks, um, yes, they're designed to be read, but there's nothing, there's no pretense about that. They just say, this is how I saw it. And I want you to understand this in the past, that this is, this is what we saw. This is how it looked. And this is what I did next. So they're intentionally um, detailed stuff, not so that you don't get this overlay of what well, I would like you to think about me, which you might get in diaries. So... Um, and I've done a lot of that and, and it's been helpful. I've, I've reconstructed excavations from, you know, sort of 20, 30 years previously where people have, uh, have died and they're no longer around to ask. And it's been an interesting, uh, 
I found it a fascinating process. So I thought you could do this really nicely. You can have you do you can have these discussions. Uh, I know this from 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 um, personal experience. I could sit back and think, uh, what were you thinking, John? White? you know when you when you did this? And I know I know you. The red ink means you know you've had a you're at home because you don't take your red fountain pen onto site. So you're back in the pub. But I know you would have had a couple of beers. So um, I know you might be, you know, kind of um, in a good mood about this. So I need to tone down what you're saying. And you have the, and he might, he might as well be in the room with you when you have these discussions. So I think it's not really that. And I think you, could, you may have missed. And, and so you can have these discussions. So I just thought well, it would be really interesting to have these discussions between, let's say, Sherlock Holmes and Watson. But Watson was a, a PhD student now. And uh, Holmes is this person making the observations. And the interesting thing about this is, you know, Holmes's um, method is this the, the, the method of, you know, facts, facts, unallied facts. Um, so why do you have to have Watson uh, in the room at the same time? If it's all about facts, then the facts can be interpreted by Watson as a PhD student years later, providing they've been recorded properly. And that's why uh, Luke Guru has a, has a great deal of, about notebooks and, and how notebooks are formed. In fact, a lot of a lot of the stories deal with notebooks and mm -hmm. how they are, um, you know, the, the the fundamental record of something that happened. So that was my intention. I, I don't think I actually pulled it off as well as 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 one as I might have hoped. But there is a modern person there uh, who's who's trying to interpret notebooks left by Florent and um, there's a lot of stuff about how those notebooks came about that's all uh, kind of based on my you know oh, that happens you know that's that's true so um, so so you're right um, I, he, I think he would come back I mean I, I will try and see if he can we can uh, have another story with him in it now the visions of Lazaro the the work that finishes the book is the uh, only one I think in there that's overtly of some kind of a genre. I mean, you know, it, it, it gets there, but it gets there, I mean, in such a manner that at first it feels like I'm reading, again, a, just, just this really mysterious and compelling history, a story of, uh, of a prophet and a story of a of an outpost in the middle of some godforsaken desert. Talk of, did you how much of this world that you create in this story did you have in your mind before you started typing it into your Blackberry? And I can't even believe that you could <laughs> compose such a thing. Um, the, the landscape f for that, the the, um, the Lanura Roja. What it's a called. wonderful word! That, that it's so <laughs> evocative. Um, it. I think really it was because I was going through landscapes. I, we've had we had the Scots West Coast. We'd had a sort of city in London. We'd had the beautiful English Midlands. We'd had the sort of the the Central European area, and I felt the need for something different. I can I didn't want to write about the same kind of area, so I picked something that was as as completely different from those landscapes as as could possibly be, um, effectively a, a, a desert. And um, again, it was a, it was the last story written. I I um, I I don't know for sure where it came from, but I know at the time. I, or near to it, I had read, uh, reread a John Wyndham story. And I, you asked me what the first story book I read. I think the first book now I'm thinking about it that I that I kind of bought and read was a John Wyndham book. Mm -hmm. uh, probably 
the Midwich Cuckoos or one of his short stories. I got a feeling they were in our kind of sick bay. Mm-hmm. And when you had absolutely nothing else to do, you couldn't play rugby, you couldn't play football, you couldn't do anything else. You were stuck there. You resorted to reading. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the, the thing. Anyway, I had read one and I can't remember the name. I was thinking earlier on. Uh, the Chrysalids? I, I, I wanted to call it Chroniclism. But I'm not, I've got a feeling it. I may be misleading people into. There's a story he writes about, and it's a be, it's a delicious um, uh, situation he gets. Uh, a guy on one planet, professor kind of equivalent on one planet, um, not our own, invents a, a form of um, uh, exchange, um, and he exchanges himself with somebody from our planet. And that's great. And uh, the only problem is, is the person he exchanges from our planet is a cripple and a man in great deal of pain and a great deal of dissatisfaction with his life, who is sucked away from that life and now ends up on the other planet and discovers the other planet. He's uh, in uh, he's a fit and healthy person and, and lovely. So obviously he doesn't want to go back. And there is this wonderful uh, I think wonderful uh, kind of set that this guy said John Wyndham sets up because they then begin to have it. I'm not going to spoil it for people. I really recommend people to read it, but uh, they then have this kind of tussle about who's going to get the the, uh, the cripple's body and they go in. So I'd read that, uh, and I think somewhere in the back of my mind recently, I read that recently when I started writing. In the back of my mind was this idea of um, exchange, and again, I'm retro. I'm fitting retro ideology into this. I'm thinking what I was, uh, what my subconscious was was saying was that was really interesting with a physical exchange, physical exchange of people. What would happen if you had um, a, a kind of exchange deficit in some kind of intellectual way in, in terms of the intellectual capacity? So what would happen instead of a broken body uh, transferring between uh, different uh, places, you had... Uh, a somewhat compromised mind in a body, but being transferred. And what would that mind make of of this um, transition and how would that happen? So while I, at one level, I really wanted to just say, I want to draw out this John Wyndham story because I think in it, he it's a short, it is a short story and he only has, I could just see huge potential in this, in what emerges. And again, I'm not going to say what happens. And I was really inclined to do that. Um, but actually what emerged in me by the time it had gone through my brain and come out into the Blackberry was was this different, slightly different take on it, which is, is um, yeah, what would the mind think of, of moving backwards and forwards um, between between two different places that were, were different? Um, so so that was the idea. I'm I'm people have read it. I'm I'm aware that it's um, a complicated uh story well that's what makes it so <laughs> enjoyable for me at least i, I mean the the and i think all of your stories are are pretty complicated and you have a you have a very interesting sense of narratives nested narratives reflective narratives narratives with like spider webs i mean um your your narratives are not like the kind of Ethernet cable that goes from one computer to the next to the next. It's like there's a hub that goes to all of them at once. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's, I mean, and it, it, to some extent, that's driven by the, the, the content of the story, which mm-hmm. is which is about these, I guess, parallel universes, uh, which is which is what's going on, going on there. But I was, again, I was trying really hard 
to make it as realistic as possible. And and it so it feels real. I mean it like it feels so real that it takes a while to twig to the to the genre content. And that's what's what again what amazes me. You have you give us these names and dates and events and again we're tempted wait, wait, wait. I'm gonna where's where's my where's where can I get these notebooks? <laughs> so uh, yeah, I was I I'm and I was that's what I was trying to do. That's mm. what I was trying to do. And, and um, there's a lot of complexity um, in there. Um, but again, I was just following a, a logical thought process with it, which is if, um, you know, you don't need, there's a tendency to think that that um, uh, areas, uh, stories that involve movement between planets or whatever are obviously going to have some cataclysmic um uh, yeah, um, event happen. Mm-hmm. The, the people, the, the 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 people or organisms on the other planet are going to be hideous and tentac- many tentacled, many headed animals. Um, but 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 what in reality um, might it be is that, that these are just organisms that have. Uh, and what if they were human to start off with, and have just evolved? Going coming back to my archaeological um, background, in ways. Um, under the conditions of that planet, so the, the planet, or the, the the space in which the the um, uh, Lanura Roja exists, is um, is uh, n- not um, hugely distant from what we've got now. That's the whole point. It it, it could exist anywhere just outside our solar system. Um, and all that's happened in, in, in that very basically is that that we've in a previous um, kind of iteration of our running of the tape of life have have cocked it up as we very nearly have done on several occasions. In this case, around about the 60s or 70s, we cocked it up. And what would have happened? Well, we would have tried, you know, to to um, save the, the species in some way or other. What technology did we have? We had we had Saturn five rockets at that time and and the Apollo space mission was all we had had um so you know there were references to that so the fivers who are the the equivalent of the sort of 49ers I guess in, in California they're called fivers because of Saturn V rocket and uh, so we launch off rockets um left right and center and who does that uh, we would have been under um a little after this cataclysm on our own planet because these things take time to to happen um, in my story is Carter, and that's why the capital of that planet is called Carter, and and one of the big provincial towns is Mueller, and, and Mueller is was the head director of NASA at the time of the space program, um, and then what's happened is these uh, humans have I thought well what would happen if they were on if they had a little less gravity than we did, um, and well they I guess I don't know I'm not a, a um, an anthropologist or an anatomist but I guess less stress on the bones and everything would allow you to to grow a bit bigger I, I guess taller you know the long bones would be supported so that that could happen um and I'm sure there are other things that would happen so these people were getting were just humans who just got a bit bigger um but then you deliver into that you insert into that world um a damaged mind or not a damaged mind but a man, a man who is thinking certain in a certain way and then you think, well, now go figure. What do you make of that? You know, these are, they're human, but they're big. They're giants. Um, um, and then you take him back again to our, to our world, and you say, well, what would he say? How would he how would he um, interpret all of that? Um, and I was just playing through this this idea. Literally, 
day by day thinking, okay, he goes back. So what's he going to say? Well, he's going to say, it was extraordinary. There's these huge people, this big table. And as I wrote it, I became aware that what I was doing was, in my mind, was actually fairly simple, fairly logical. Uh, but what was appearing before me on in on the BlackBerry, if you like, and the, was um, extraordinary. And I could see that this would people would say this is absolutely bizarre uh, that what's going on. But in my mind, not really. I mean, if you um, so. I'm I'm really proud of it. It's of the stories that I wrote. It's the one that that, that I'm 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 the most proud of. But um, I I understand. You know, I showed it to my wife. She was like looking at me like, "What are you doing? <laughs> what are you trying to?" You know. Um, but you know, ultimately, when I kind of talk to her about it, she understands, it and I think she you know, says it's it's um uh, you know an interesting story. So I I I love it for its for its uh, intellectual complexity, um, and um I'm I'm. You know, if I had my time again, maybe I would I would try and throw a few more clues in there so that that uh, you know, I think perhaps I could have made it e- easier for some people to, to kind of get what I'm saying, because I, I understand that, that it, it may be difficult. But if you just read it as a, as a story, I hope it's an extraordinary story and an extraordinary tale at that level. And that I'll be very delighted for that to have, to have happened. Well, that's one of the things I think that um, you talked about children's classics, you know, your reading of that. That's all these kind of have that feeling of just being a great yarn, you know, yeah. ripping, ripping yarns. You, you, you do you, it. You said it. That's exactly what I was aiming for is something you could really get your teeth into a really good yarn. Now, uh, you've got all these things on the Blackberry. You bring them home and download them and just put them one after another on the computer. That's it. That's a, it, uh, the the note the system I have is um, they they come up as as little files so I cut and paste them into a into a you know word document, um, and um, and then just format them uh, and that's where uh, editing takes place. Uh, I've I've done a lot of editing along the way because I'll I because I have this kind of big break in my day where I'm talking about uh, other things, thinking about other things. I often have to remind myself what where we are in the story, so I will reread. The, the the you know the last you know um 500 600 words and change them as i go along so i i i think probably um every sentence has been read and reread by me um you know tens of times but without me really knowing it but the first big edit happens when they uh, at once a week i i i put what's written on the blackberry into the file and and that takes shape and then um, when the story's done, I'll then um, go through and and give it a, a, an edit from start to finish, um, and that's that's pretty much that's pretty much it. Now, are there any stories we haven't seen? No, there oh. there are not, and that's that's a, a, a commentary on. I think I said you know um, the editor at, at Tartarus was encouraging to me by by setting me this goal to write the two, which I probably wouldn't have written. Um, you know, or at least that quickly. Um, had she not have done that, so I'm I'm a deadline kind of guy. I like to I like the sound as they wish past, but I I I, you know, I need that that impetus. Um, but the other reason is 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 that I've I've been working on something else. So I don't know whether whether um, you know if I hadn't had this other idea in my mind, I I would have written more stories. But certainly, um, you know, Florent would come back again. I think in something and uh, oh, I have well, a few yeah. ideas there. <laughs> Now, uh, we have to thank Rosie over at Tartarus yeah. Press. Now, uh, have they 
have they seen your novel yet? That's what you're working on, correct? Now, and it must be a different adventure for you to write a novel on your BlackBerry. Um, uh, well, first of all, no, it's not finished. It's nearly finished, nearly finished. Um, and uh, it's a different, uh, I think, a different um, take on on this. I mean, for a start, it's, um, or my intention was that this was more of a, um, a story for children. Mm-hmm. Um, but not y- young children. My children are five and three, and I'm hoping by the time, if this ever sees the light of print or whatever, they'll be you know older than that. But my intention was to write something for them. As I said, I, I, I had been reading loads of children's stories written in the 19 sort of 20s and 30s, where I think people had much higher expectations of what children could could absorb and mm-hmm. take in. Um, so they are written pretty much uncompromisingly in in adult English. Um, with very little compromise to to what a child may be able to take in, and the concepts, uh, uh, in the same sense, are also fairly adult in nature. It's just that there isn't a lot of uh, landscape description. There's a lot of dialogue. There's there's not a lot of what people were thinking. That's all been sort of stripped out. Um, so in my view, um, my way of thinking, that's pretty much what I'm writing. The style I'm writing anyway mm-hmm. uh, is in that in that era, um, that, that, that way of writing. So, um, at the time my children were reading a lot of stories about, um, dragons and things like that. And I thought, Hey, wouldn't it be good to use what I do? So this is the, the incremental, um, way of taking something that's preposterous and making it, uh, if you draw it out long enough, I thought, gosh, dragon, that's a pretty big one. I'm going to need more than 20,000 words to make that sound um, plausible. So um, so what what we have is a, is a story about um, dragons, um, but um, written in a very adult way. And the people I've shown to said, yeah, no child will understand this. Um, but but um, and using, I think, drawing upon my my. Uh, experience as a as a, in a sense an evolutionary archaeologist but somebody who has a little in, a little in interest in paleontology too um so if if die if if um dragons existed um how would you find out about them and how would they be um, discovered revealed bit by bit and what would they look like so i've i've made some you know pretty radical um, changes to dragon law and what you can and cannot do with a dragon and where they where they come from and I've tied them I brought them back into the firmament of of science so and the the story is about um, essentially um, two uh, contrasting views the scientific view and the 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 in this case a religious view but a, a view of um, an, a native religion um, what so those two things are they always in um uh are they always in um confrontation uh are they always is one right and one not now i firmly from a scientific background but i'm playing around with the idea of of uh what would you lose if you if you refuse to believe scientific evidence that science dragons existed might you miss something and uh, as i said everything is has already happened nothing i can think of as an so the, the cite the platypus you know it should not exist it's it's completely it's a completely ridiculous monster that absolute. nobody could invent and they didn't believe it until until very very recently so that on the science side and then that on on, on the kind of um uh the kind of i guess religion is probably the wrong word but re- the religious side is is you know they allow 
um, particularly the native religions that I'm talking about, not the organized Western religions, um, allow for these things that's natural that 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 things that exist outside of um science you know exist and play a fundamental part in the lives of these people and it's part of their charm as you said and it's part of their their the way they understand the world so what would happen if you had one if you brought both of those things together in one person and um what i have as the character of this is a young boy who's a, a, a native of the weekday islands. Again, don't look for it. it. It doesn't exist. But really curiously, interestingly, I spent a long time locating this and I find I'm very comfortable with where it's at. And then again, my children reading, we started reading them um, uh, Gulliver's Travels and I discover at the front of Gulliver's Travels there's a map and Lilliput is smack bang where I've placed the weekday islands so um, again you can't make anything up these days <laughs> you're in good company <laughs> <laughs> so it's about a it's about a native weekday islander uh, and it's about uh, a lot of the stuff that will, will be familiar it's about um, uh, the British um, coming to um, colonize this this island as a trading post but there's a twist on that too it's not really trading they it's actually white slavery they're engaged they're engaged in shipping out uh, oh, the detritus like <laughs> of, of London uh, over into into these islands and then making them grow coffee and tea and stuff and then sending it back um, so that gives me a, a nice big uh, pool of uh, deviant human beings to play with although i think actually i've been very restrained and not um using too much of them but bringing with them um science uh, and an understanding of a new area so they're trying to understand these islands and and make a natural history of it and on the other side the indigenous population two two of them uh, two groups um who hate each other obviously they're in constant warfare with with uh, each other and have been since time immemorial and then this this is uh, disrupted by the arrival of the colonials um but what happens to them and this this one boy sits between the two and and he becomes um uh, friends with 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 um uh, what, the, the sort of doctor of the, of the of the settlement so he learns um he learns science and he actually comes to london and very nearly meets linnaeus at the time he didn't quite work out on that um but but certainly is trying now to make sense of what he um, knows and believes um, and the scientific uh, part of that and so he's putting that stew together and which would all be fine and dandy if he wasn't uh, instrumental to the life cycle of this very curious beast that bit by bit is revealed in, in the book so um, maybe I've put too much effort into it and too much thought but but um, uh, and I haven't seen it from start to finish because uh, um, you know I haven't got to that point yet. But um, uh, yeah, it, it's it's an interesting story. But it, it's very much it's similar to this. It's based the the, the uber the ur text in this case is not a notebook. It's a natural history that that somebody's written. So we have this natural history, the first edition of which has a very curious animal in it. And the question is, why did the animal uh, not? Why is the animal not there in addition to? Why did it get taken out? This sounds fabulous. Has, is uh, Tartarus going to be publishing it? I I haven't got to that point. That uh, I'll finish it and then then we'll see what what uh you know who's who's in, if anybody's interested in it. So well, I'll, I'll um. I'm quite certain somebody's going to be very <laughs> interested in it. I've been speaking with Michael Rainier. His new book is Five Degrees of Latitude. Thank you for joining me, Michael. It's been a pleasure, Rick. Thanks for having me.
You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.